0: We come now before the very Word of God. If you'd like to read with me, we'll be again in the first letter of John. So you can turn to 1 John. We're still in this first chapter here. But before we read, uh, would you please pray with me? Our great God, we know that your Word is truth. And comes from the Spirit of truth. So as we sit now before these true things, help us uh, to listen, to submit ourselves to them, and to believe. Help us to find a place of wisdom and hope here. Holy Spirit, would you open our eyes to see, our hearts to believe? and our minds to understand. We ask this grace in Jesus' name. Amen. This is the first letter of John. Uh, we'll begin here in chapter 1 in verse 5 and read to the end of, of the chapter. So First John, chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you. The God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another And the blood of Jesus, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. And his word is not in us. This is the word of God. Now, today from John's letter, we want to pick up and address the topic of lies. That's what we'll be talking about today lies. Uh, you may remember from last week, or if you weren't here, here's a, a brief reminder. We, we talked then about how John has encouraged us, the listeners of this letter, the, both in the first century and now, encouraging us all into fellowship. That is, in fellowship we'd be unified in a common purpose with God and with other believers as we seek to walk in the light and pursue lives of holiness. So fellowship happens through the practice of the truth. But there's an opposite that occurs, a a disruption of fellowship that happens through lies. We're told in other parts of the scripture that, that God never lies. Uh, in Hebrews, the, it's impossible for God to lie, the writer says. And in the book of Numbers, we're told that God is not a man that he should lie. God never lies, but devil, the devil is a liar. Jesus calls him the father of lies. And by calling him the father of lies, it doesn't just mean that the devil produces more lies in himself. The devil produces not only more lies, but also more liars. He's producing more lies through people who carry along those lies. So now John is drawing our attention to particular people who are lying He'll say later in chapter 2, he says, I write these things about those who are trying to deceive you. And then he'll say again in chapter 3, Little children, let no one deceive you. So in order to do that, we need to be aware. We need to be alert so that we're not going to be taken in by these lies and come to believe them, or even worse, become liars ourselves. Because if we're, we're taken in by these lies, the effects of these things are truly chilling. As John tunes us into lies and liars, we want to unpack this morning three aspects of lies. We'll look at the nature of lies, the claim of these lies, and then the outcome of the lies. The nature, the claim, and the outcome. Let's start with the first of those, the nature. That is, what makes a lie a lie? As soon as I ask that question, there are some who might say, well... A lie is just something that's not true. Seems simple enough, but it's not always so simple. Uh, you may have already encountered this, but there's a classic ex- ethical example about lies that's often used, and it goes like this. So imagine that that you're a Christian in the days of Nazi Germany and World War II and you are hiding Jews in your in your house and a Nazi comes up and, and knocks on your door, boop, 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 and, and you open it and, and he says, are there any Jews here? Now, what's the right thing to say in that circumstance? For many people, our natural instinct is that, well, you should say no. You shouldn't say... You got me, they're hiding in the basement. You should say no, and I think that's a a godly instinct. But if we say that, would that be a lie? We are holding Jews, after all. And if it is a lie, is that lie sin? That's not just a hypothetical example that, that philosophers discuss. There are a couple of events in the scriptures that are very much like that. So one's in the, in the first chapter of Exodus where we see the Hebrew midwives of Egypt, and, and the Pharaoh has commanded these midwives to kill all the male Hebrew babies which they don't do, praise God, they let those babies live. But Pharaoh then calls these midwives in to demand an answer from them. He says, why have you done this? Why did you let these babies live when I told you not to? And the midwives say, the Hebrew wives are strong, and they give birth before we can get there. That's not really what happens, but that's what they say. So that's one example. There's another example in the beginning uh, of Joshua where we know Israel, the nation of Israel, sends out spies into the land and into Jericho uh, before the walls come a-tumbling down, and, and those spies meet Rahab, who hides the spies on her roof. And some Jericho soldiers come up, bink, 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 knock on her door and say, hey, we saw these guys come in. Where are they? And she says, I don't know. But they left, and if you hurry, you can catch them. Now, in both of those cases, with the midwives and with Rahab, the facts of the matter are not told. And yet, in both of these cases, it's clear that God blesses these women and the people through them in the end. But have they lied? Was it sin to say what they said? Is, are they just giving the lesser of two evils? Is it something else other than that entirely? You know, if we really lean into the nuances of lies, it gets even more complex. Philosophers, so, you know, Plato and, and Aristotle and all those guys, they would debate the ethics of lying, and that went on for centuries. Even Christian thinkers... So guys, you might recognize like, like uh, Augustine and Thomas Aquinas and, and John Christostom and John Calvin, all these people would, would talk about lies even from a Christian perspective, looking at it through the lens of the Bible, and even they would land in slightly different conclusions about lies. Some would say lies are never, ever morally good. Some would say that there might be times when they're permissible or allowed, but they're not still good. And some would say that there are times where they're required, that they even could be good themselves. We can ask lots of questions about lies that are not always easy to answer. So, is a a white lie, or what we call a fib, you know, if you say, I really like your haircut when you don't, is that a sin? If we say something that we think is true at the time, but it turns out not to be true? Is that a lie? You know, what about in situations like games or sports or war even? Would it be okay to intentionally mislead people in those contexts? What about if we say we're just joking? Is that still counted as a lie? What about you know modern issues like transgender issues? Or someone's biology is of one gender and they present as another gender, are they living a lie in that moment or perhaps beforehand? Or, or what if we hide something shameful, either in our past or in our minds, something shameful? Are those secrets lies? We're not going to solve all of this here, even if we had all the time in the world. These are the sorts of questions that you ponder over many cups of tea on the porch. And if you want to ponder them more, come to our house and I'll set the kettle on and we can sit on the porch uh, together. But even though we're not going to be able to resolve them out, uh, if I were pressed to specify the nature of lies according to the word of God... I'm inclined to say that the Bible teaches this: that all lies are sin, but not all untruths are lies. Does that sound tricky? Not uh, that all lies are sin, but not all untruths are lies. That would be similar to the way that the scripture teaches that all murder is sin, but not all killings are murder. At any rate, thankfully, we don't have to stake a hard claim on all of this or resolve every tension and nuance because John doesn't enter into the big ethical complexities about lies. That's not his point. In the letter of John, he is not ignorant of those complexities or tensions, but he also doesn't address the gray areas really at all. For John's purposes, he speaks in terms of black and white, lies and truths, very simply, very clear-cut. And John has very particular lies in mind that allow us to be a little bit more definite about the nature of at least those lies. We know from reading here that the lies he talks about are words. If we look, he says it three times, verse 6, 8, and 10, if we say this. So lies are words, but they're not only words. They're, those words are related to what a person does. Their practice. Look at verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. So if we pull some of this together, if I lost you before, hopefully I'll pick you back up here. If we summarize the nature of at least what John is saying about these lies, is we could say this. These lies are sinful words that do not practice the truth. That's the nature of what we're talking about here. Sinful words that do not practice the truth. Now, that brings us to our second component here. What is the claim? That is, what are the particular words that are said that are out of step with the truth? This is something you could see for yourself. You don't uh, need some fancy expert. Three times lies are mentioned in these verses with three slightly different claims, but they're all related. The first is in verse 6, when we're told that the lie is to say we have fellowship as we walk in darkness. The next is in verse 8, where we say we have no sin. And the third is mentioned in verse 10, where we say we have not sinned. Together these people are making a claim to be better than they are. That's the claim. To be better than they are. And the most extreme version of that claim is is that, that it's not just better than they are, but I'm entirely without sin at all. That I might have sinned in the past, but I don't sin anymore. That lie still exists, by the way, as part of the theology even of some Christian denominations. It, that, there's, it's a technical term that goes by various names. Some people call it Christian perfectionism. Uh, some people call it total sanctification. It goes by a bunch of other terms. Whatever we name it, the essence of the lie is this, that a Christian can reach a place of maturity in Jesus that we no longer willfully sin in this life. That's what some groups think, that I could be now morally perfect as the Father is perfect. That's the claim, but that's not true according to the scripture. Okay, now let me be clear. It is true, it is true that a Christian is now completely cleansed of the guilt of sin. Even while we continue to sin, there is no guilt of sin. That's why there's no condemnation in Christ. Praise Jesus. We are now completely cleansed of the guilt of sin. We are also, in the future, will be totally sanctified in glory. There will be a day in which not only we do not sin, but we don't even desire to sin. Praise Jesus. Also now, we're continuing on toward that final sanctification. It's not a clear and easy line, but in general, we are growing in godliness, in Christ-like character. Praise Jesus for that. All those things are true, but it is not true to say that we now have no sin. If that's the claim, we lie and the truth is not in us. Now, some people might say, Preacher, I got that one. I'm good. Uh, that's obvious to me. I know I have sin. You know, I know that we all have sinned and that we all, even Christians, still continue to sin. So I'm not going to be sucked in or deceived by the lie of Christian perfectionism. And if so, good, I'm glad. I don't want you to be sucked in by that either. But let's be careful not to let this confidence lull us into a false sense of security because there are many Christians who know they are still sinners and yet adopt a more subtle version of this lie. These are people who would never dare say that they are entirely sinless. They know that's not true. Not say we're sinless. We just say we sin less than other people. Not sinless, without sin, we just sin less. And that is still a claim to be better than we are. That's saying we have fellowship with God while we really walk in darkness. Sometimes we do this because we want to be accepted, sometimes we do this because we want to be included. Sometimes we do this because we want to be respected. Or sometimes we do this because we're just afraid of what will happen or what others will think or we're afraid for ourselves to face what we know to be true. Whatever the reason behind it, if we present ourselves as someone who doesn't really sin, You know our sins are no big deal. Our sins are small. They're they're harmless. They're innocent sins. If we do that, that's called hypocrisy. And it's a lie. It's a damnable lie. You know Jesus never, not once, praises the self-righteous lies of hypocrisy. He calls these lying hypocrites serpents and fools, and whitewashed tombs who are shiny on the outside but are full of dead bones in the inside. We don't want to be that. But that's the liar's claim to be better than we are. Now this brings us to the final aspect of lies that we need to look at, which is the outcome of them. Let's look now at the outcome of lies. There are three verses here, three distinct times where John gives us three outcomes of lies in increasing severity. And I should warn you that there are parts of these, maybe at least to me, perhaps also to you, parts of these that are unnerving, even scary, but I must tell you the truth. This is where we'll head, three final outcomes of the lies. The first is that lies lead us to walk in darkness. Verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie. You know, to walk in darkness. That's not just to, to look at darkness, to think about darkness, to sit in darkness, to, to walk in it, to continue in it. If, if, if you've ever actually walked in real darkness there's a pretty good chance you've stubbed your toe. Or if you live in a house with Legos, walking in darkness is a scary business. And and that's just the least of what can happen. Right there. there once, uh, when I was uh, young uh, and, and, and stupid, not that I'm, I'm less young, but I don't know if I'm less stupid, uh, but, uh, but uh, uh, in college days, ventured in and found a cave with some of my buddies and an opening. And we just kind of went in because, well, it was there. Why not? And we go into this cave, and we sort of kept on going. And it just got darker and darker till we couldn't even see our hands in front of our faces. And this was the days before smartphones so we didn't have a flashlight in our pockets, but one of us uh, happened to have a camera. And so we pulled it out and every so often would hold it up and flash a picture just to get the flash to, to see. And, and at one point, you know, we're, we're snapping these photos every so often trying to save battery. And at one point we snap a photo and the guy in the front goes, oh, a huge hole. I'm glad we got a picture of it or else I would be in it. You know, that in retrospect is funny and the moment was not so much. To persist in lies is a lot like going deeper into a dark cave where, where we gradually dim the light of the sun, we slowly drain the battery life of the flash of the camera until all that's left is to walk in darkness in a cavern full of chasms where we would be unable to watch where we step. That's one outcome, is that we would walk in darkness. The second, I think, is worse. The second outcome is, lies lead us to deceive ourselves. It's in verse 8. If we say we have no sin... We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. This is a reminder that lies don't just mislead others. They mislead the liar himself. So sometimes we think about lies as sort of bluffing and poker. I've got my hand. I know what my hand is, and I'm trying to trick you into thinking I've got something different than what I actually have. But in that case, I can see the hand in front of me But if I deceive myself, that means I'm no longer able to truthfully see the cards that I'm holding. I think I know what they are. I think I know what they say, but I don't. Realize how unsettling that is? You know, as I was preparing for all these things in my study, I came across a bunch of different definitions of lies from Christians, and most of them included the word intentional, that lies are somehow intentional, a lie is an untrue statement with intent to deceive, and in other words, that, that, that we do it on purpose, and that's often the case. That frequently happens with lies. They, they're done intentionally. But John here takes it a step further than that, He tells us part of the fallout, part of the outcome of lies is something unintentional and unexpected, that the liar himself ends up being deceived, ends up fooling himself, ends up living a lie and not recognizing it. So the liar gets tangled in this web of his his own making and can no longer tell what is true and not true. We know what that looks like. These are situations where we m- maybe convince ourselves that our own addictions or or our idols are actually helping us instead of hurting us where we convince ourselves that when we have a fight or a conflict with other people, that it's all their fault and none of mine. These are times when we convince ourselves that our moral failures are due to a lack of time and energy rather than due to a lack of love for God. We become convinced of falsehood. And the scariest part of that is how, then, can I disentangle myself from a lie when I think it's true? I'll happily lay down in it. Now, there is a way out of that deception, but it's going to need some intervention from the outside. It's going to need a brother or sister who's going to love us enough to gently speak some hard truth to us. It's going to require the Holy Spirit of truth to disrupt our own foolishness and convict us of sin. And that's not fun. You know, to face the truth is probably going to hurt, at least at first. You know, finally admitting sins that we have long denied usually hurts, but that hurt is good. It's like the hurt of a surgeon who's cutting out a tumor of falsehood. But we should be aware that one of the outcomes of lies is that we may deceive ourselves. And as awful as those things may be, that a person may come to walk in darkness and may come to deceive himself, this third and final outcome, I think, is the most tragic. The third outcome of lies is that we call God a liar. Verse 10. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. That is to say, if God says we have sinned and we deny it, somebody's lying. It's his word versus my word. So if I say, not me, I'm not the liar here, then guess who it is that we leave holding the bag of lies. Even if we would never dare use these actual words to say it, that's what we're doing in our lives by our actions. We are in effect pointing a finger up at the sky and saying, him, he's wrong. He's at fault. God is the one who's lying here. And his word is not in us. It gives me goosebumps to think about that. Once we, once we see how brazen and bold faced that is, then we can finally start to understand why the lake of fire is full of liars. It would be better to fall down a thousand holes in a cave than to end up in such a state like that. Lord, have mercy. And by saying this, I don't mean to frighten us here or to make it seem hope, hopeless. You know, we, ha- we have a great and steadfast hope that rather than lie and hide our sin or say we have no sin, we're, we're called to speak truth, to confess our sin, and Christ is faithful to forgive us and to cleanse us. We'll talk more about confession next week, but don't wait till next week to confess. For today, at least, I just want us, for me, for you, for all of us, I want us to see the light shine on these lies so that we can see them for what they are, so that we won't be deceived or become deceivers but instead abide in God and his word so that we would know the truth and the truth would set us free. Pray with me. Lord, by your strength and goodness, would you purge from us all falsehood and any lying that would dishonor you Would you shine brightly your light of truth? Help us to confess our sin and to walk in the light as you are in the light. We trust your mercy to forgive. Help us to follow you in this. We ask this grace in Jesus' name. Amen.